At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. We are so goddamned afraid of offending somebody by defending democracy. The first 14th Amendment case against Trump is decided, and the Minnesota State Supreme Court wriggled out of both disqualifying him from the ballot and wriggled out of not disqualifying him from the ballot. Chief Justice Natalie E. Hudson says the court will not bar Trump from the Minnesota ballot now because, hey, we're still in the primary stage. No, seriously. Chief Justice Hudson writes there is, quote, no state statute that prohibits a major political party from placing on the presidential nomination primary ballot or sending delegates to the national convention supporting a candidate who is ineligible to hold office. That's what the Supreme Court of Minnesota decided this on, not the exact dimensions of Trump's role in the insurrection, not the applicability of Clause 3 of the 14th Amendment, not the analysis of the deliberations leading to the passage of the 14th Amendment, that it is self-executing, and if you were part of a rebellion, you start ineligible to hold office, and you can only become eligible to hold office if two-thirds of Congress votes to waive your ineligibility, which is what the goddamn 14th Amendment actually says. No. The Minnesota Supreme Court decided this based on the, oh, look, a technicality which allows us to not rule and not anger anybody and not cause a fuss, not have to deal with threats or get this kicked up to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's so messy. The escape clause that seems to be the universal goal of everyone placed in a position in which they can risk a little to defend freedom and the Constitution rather than waiting until freedom and the Constitution are dead and millions will have to risk everything to restore them. Basically, Chief Justice Hudson says with seeming relief, 
that she can sidestep this controversial but completely constitutional and virtually unavoidable action because there ain't no law against the Republicans nominating Trump or Putin or Cenk Uger or a very smart giraffe. Hey, that's their problem. What are we, the candidate police? Yeah, actually, you are. You are the candidate police. Chief Justice Hudson, sadly, is the finest personification of the political and cultural diversity that our clunky, unwieldy, sometimes brutal, swift-as-molasses nation has somehow produced over 247 years. She's African-American. Her dad was the first African-American football coach at a predominantly white college in modern history. She fought her way up the Minnesota legal system for 20 years, and then she was made a judge by a governor from the Independence Party and then put on the Supreme Court by another governor from the Farmer Labor Party and then named chief justice by yet another governor from the Farmer Labor Party. And when it came time to defend the Constitution, she said, Nah, I don't have to. And she said nothing about Trump's crimes, and she presumably left the door open to try the 14th again when he becomes the nominee, unless the Republicans go with the giraffe. It's heartbreaking. The 14th Amendment provides a mechanism for overriding its automatic disqualification for traitors and insurrectionists like Jefferson Davis and Dementia J. Trump. If it was not automatic, it would not have an overriding mechanism. Because if it was not automatic, if it was not guilty until proved innocent, it wouldn't need an overriding mechanism. And Justice Hudson and the Minnesota State Supreme Court punted. They punched a pail full of water. Absolutely no result whatsoever. Well, yeah, that's not entirely true, is it? Because naturally, she did hand Trump another lump of raw meat to throw to his cult. The 14th Amendment challenges, said a Trump henchman within minutes of the announcement, are, quote, nothing more than strategic, unconstitutional, unconstitutional hyphenated in the statement, incorrectly, by the way, strategic, unconstitutional attempts to interfere with the election, unquote, and then... Dementia J, in his role as the most insecure man in the world, posted ridiculous 14th Amendment lawsuit just thrown out by Minnesota Supreme Court without merit, unconstitutional. Congratulations to all who fought this hoax. The 14th Amendment and the Constitution, and for that matter, what our predecessors who survived the Civil War so carefully crafted so it could never happen again, all of them, dismissed as a hoax by the most despicable criminal this nation has ever produced. Thank you, Justice Hudson. Thanks for going out on a limb for the nation. Status of the other 14th Amendment cases? Well, Trump's legal team rested its case Friday, having now added a constitutional expert from the Federalist Society, so I'm assuming he was an expert on our Constitution, not that of Weimar Germany's. Their other Colorado witnesses included the retiring Congressman Ken Buck the day after Trump had trashed him online, Cash Patel, Katrina Pearson, a Trump operative who insisted that it was Antifa that did it, 
another Trump operative who explained that there was no insurrection on January 6th. So there's a chance Trump is deliberately throwing this case. Final Colorado arguments are weak from yesterday, and then it will go to a jury of six, four Republicans and two independents. The status of the efforts to preclude Schedule F, the means by which Trump, upon returning to power, could fire virtually any government employee he wanted to for whatever reason he wanted, meaning that you would have to be or maybe even have to swear personal loyalty to Trump. How's that going? Well, the Biden White House Office of Personnel Management promulgated a proposed rule two months ago aimed at hamstringing Schedule F. And it's still marked proposed. And anyway, take a guess what the easiest thing for one White House is to repeal. Yes, another White House's rule. As to something in Congress to protect the civil service, to prevent a personal loyalty oath signed in blood by every federal employee? Nothing. Crickets. But anyway, how are you going to get it past House Republicans for whom Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan just were not doctrinaire enough? Measures to stop what the Washington Post reported Sunday about officially politicizing the Department of Justice and shoehorning the Federal Trade Commission or, or say, the Federal Reserve just taking them into some White House department so that Trump would be directly in charge of them. Nothing hasn't even been proposed so far so that even if House fascists killed it, you could use that as a campaign issue next year. Hasn't even been proposed by House Democrats or Senate Democrats. We are so goddamned afraid of offending somebody by defending democracy that we are going to bend over backwards and fall directly into fascism. There's an extraordinary French film, La Règle du Jeu, The Rules of the Game. It premiered on July 7th, 1939. 354 days before France fell to the Nazis. It was written and directed by Jean Renoir, and in it he plays the hero's buddy, Octave. And at one point, Octave says something about the corruption and the lack of morals and the just plain lack of effort to stand up for what's right, which is what the movie is about. And this quote from Octave, the point of Jean Renoir's movie is the quote that has come to symbolize the France that folded like a card table in front of the Hitler onslaught and the Vichy France full of more collaborators than the Germans had believed possible. You see, in this world, there is one awful thing, Octave says, seemingly fighting back for a moment, and then he gives up with a shrug, and that is that everyone has his reasons. You see, in this world, there is one awful thing, and that is that everyone has his reasons. We may be the 21st century version of pre-Hitler France. We all have our reasons to just shrug. Or to smirk first and cash a big paycheck later. 
which is what the impossibly over-her-head Kristen Welker did last night at the Republican debate, which NBC and she and Lester Holt prostituted their journalistic reputations to participate in and carry, because if there's going to be a Vichy America, goddammit, NBC Universal Comcast is going to survive and guarantee its investors a profit over all the dead bodies. Vivek Ramaswamy, who is absolutely batshit crazy, decided that the best way to try to be the top feces on that pile was to confront Kristen Welker. And he went into one of his high-speed rants that would make Donald Trump Jr. wonder, what is that guy on? about the Trump-Russia conspiracy story as NBC covered it from 2016 onwards. And Ramaswamy demanded that Kristen Welker answer this question, was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? And he pointed at her and said, go! And she just smiled at him. And when she didn't say anything or defend NBC News or defend the news media or defend reality, he went on to insist that the media had rigged the 2020 election, the media had rigged the 2020 election, and it had rigged the 2016 election. That's right, kid. The media rigged the 2016 election for Trump. We were all in the bag for fascism, Vivek. What should have happened was Kristen Welker should have taken that moment to recognize that almost Anybody watching NBC for the Republican debate last night is a Trumpist or a Republican and therefore hadn't watched NBC in like, shoot, when did I go back there? 2003 and is unlikely ever to watch it again. And probably nearly all of them believe that the 2020 election was rigged and or JFK Jr. has come back from the dead and or QAnon is reality or all of the above. She should have recognized that, and she should have taken the extraordinary opportunity that she and she alone had just been gifted by Vivek Ramaswamy to expose the viewers, however briefly, to reality, to what has actually happened, not in Trump's addled mind, nor on Fox News, but in the actual world. Even if only a hundred of them registered what it was, she should have summarized what Robert Mueller actually said in his report about Russia, that there was contact between Russian entities and the Trump campaign, and that in no way was he clearing Trump. And she should have said what Attorney General Barr did to cover up the report and the contact between Trump and Russia. And she should have said that any fair analysis of the actual events of 2016, 17, and 18 would confirm that there was a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and later the Trump administration and elements controlled by Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. So, to answer your question, Mr. Ramaswamy, yes. And by the way, Mr. Ramaswamy, you're batshit crazy. I mean, hell, Ramaswamy called Vladimir Zelensky a Nazi last night. And even Nikki Haley called Ramaswamy scum over a debate about TikTok. Then he is scum. Mr. Ramaswamy, Welker should have said, you're wrong and you're scum. And then here's Lester Holt with the weather. Lester? I mean, honestly, what would have happened next? Would a crowd full of Republicans have suddenly begun to hate her? They hate her now. 
What a crowd full of Republicans have demanded NBC News fire her. They are demanding NBC News fires her now. Would NBC News have fired her now? What? After they just fired the last guy? I would have carried her into work every day on my back if she wanted that, if she had done something like that. But she just smiled because, well, because everybody has his or her reasons. On the subject of the Republican horse race, horse's ass race, that's not even that real, is it? I have been turning this subject over in my mind for three days now, and I cannot figure something out. I don't have a starting point. Why did the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, endorse DeSantis now? It's like chasing after the Titanic in the fastest ship of 1912 and getting up next to her as the lifeboats are going into the water and getting off your ship and boarding her and saying, gee, look at all this room I have on board the Titanic. I mean, Governor Reynolds is my age, and she did not get a degree from any of the five colleges she attended until the year 2016. And she had a couple drunk driving arrests at the turn of the century, but she's not a total idiot, is she? Or does she know something we don't about this race that will make her the only one who winds up in the lifeboat. I hope that's the case. But I'm trying to analyze Republicans. It's turned my hair gray. On the last day of testimony at the Trump civil fraud trial here, Girl Jr. testified blankly, having apparently sustained severe memory loss. Her presence was clearly just the mechanism by which the prosecution could thereby introduce a series of key emails from 2011 in which Deutsche Bank was trying to establish Trump's actual net worth as being at least $3 billion. When he said it was $4 billion, the state now says it was $1.5 billion, and Ivanka helpfully tried to negotiate it down to $2 billion, which is kind of like saying, what's the patient's temperature? And the nurse says, 101, doctor. And he says, that's too high to operate. She says... Well, then, how about 99.5? Following up on Tuesday's Democratic kicking of MAGA ass, one result not widely reported on that night, the fascist librarian prosecuting cult, Moms for Hitler's Liberty, lost control of the school board in Penridge, Pennsylvania. Ground zero on all the school board stuff. Voters there elected five Democrats, and they now wrest control of the board back from the book banners. Similar results in school boards elsewhere. Trump did his usual thing in the postmortem. He pretends and his cult believes that he has a switch that controls gravity. Turn it on, turn it off. He did the full and total endorsement thing of Daniel Cameron for governor of Kentucky and Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi for re-election. And Reeves cakewalked, so he took credit for that. And Cameron got landslided on, so Trump blamed Mitch McConnell. Not a mention of Virginia out of Trump, by the way, which is fine because it is clear the Republicans have decided on the scapegoat for losing both houses to the Democrats. Guess who? All that is left of him is his vest. You wonder about the RNC. Do we have the right people running the show? Because we, 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 we're not doing something right. I think that's very obvious. Yeah, I think 
Rob, I think you're right in a lot of places. Um, I would say these state-level races, RNC doesn't really play a role in voter turnout. That's run uh, by the team on the ground, and that in Virginia is led by Glenn Youngkin. That was Ken Cuccinelli, one of the real sleazebags of Virginia politics on Newsmax. But the Youngkin donut was not limited to the fringes on Fox Blonde number 37 said, that was really a loss for the governor. And then Brian Kilmeade said, what an epic failure by Governor Youngkin. Bye, Felicia. One more electoral note. In 2003, Kentucky elected its first Republican governor in 32 years, Ernie Fletcher. A year later, George W. Bush was reelected president. In 2007, Kentucky threw out Ernie Fletcher and elected the Democrat Steve Bashir. A year later, Barack Obama was elected president. In 2011, Bashir was reelected. In 2012, Obama was reelected. In 2015, with Bashir term limited, it elected the Republican Matt Bevin. A year later, Trump was elected. In 2019, Bevin was edged by Democrat Bashir's Democrat son. A year later, Democrat Joe Biden was elected president. I'm sensing a pattern here. Tuesday night, the Democrat was reelected in Kentucky. Also of interest here, you remember yesterday when I complimented the work of a right-wing polling outlet that showed Biden had improved his image, his approval-disapproval number, by five points in just one month, and that the number of voters who ranked his greatest liability inflation as their key issue to vote on, that had dropped six points in two months. Remember that? When I saluted their work and their independence? Well, they've responded by attacking me for quoting their poll accurately. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote this is countdown with keith olbermann 
of us on Countdown, you saw this story about Jeff Bezos moving permanently from Seattle to Florida so he can be closer to his parents and his partner, Lauren Sanchez. I used to work with Lauren Sanchez 25 years ago. And while all of us at Fox liked her, we used to cringe at the way she never did one interview with an athlete without flirting with him. And then she had one of her interviewees babies. Anywho, the Bezos story reminded me of Sanchez, and that reminded me of both of them getting blackmailed by a Trump flunky, and that reminded me of David Letterman getting blackmailed by a former CNN assignment editor I worked with 40 years ago, and that reminded me to tell you their stories in things I promised not to tell. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Worse. Well, this is an audio daily double. This is Lauren Boebert at the exact moment yesterday when she apparently realized for the first time that being in Congress, even if you are a right-wing hand job, sorry, right-wing nut job, and you get up to talk about a spending bill, you have to talk about the spending in the spending bill. And the lesson was taught to her by Congressman Steny Hoyer of Maryland. And guess what? Debate Club Karen got a D minus. I'm asking if you'll yield for a question. Sure, ask your question. What funds in this bill are used uh, for the purposes you uh, okay. uh, are opposed to? Oh, sorry, I couldn't hear the gentleman. I was getting clarification. This is precautionary. Precautionary for what? I'm asking. There are sanctuary city policies. Yes, I understand. I understand what that are that are in place that are allowing the refuge of illegal aliens in these cities, and there is an influx in crime I, I, and drugs. I understand. In these cities, and there's no. There's no way for these folks to even report what is taking place because they are protected under this fake policy that has been created that is subduing the actual rule of law that we have in the Constitution of the United States. I understand that. But what you said is none of the funds in this bill can be spent for that objective. And that is precautionary. What what funds are in this bill to be spent for that objective? I, I have seen this administration use all sorts of funds no, to protect illegal aliens. Re- reti- and this reclaiming is my time, Ms. To ensure that it will not be. Reclaiming my time. There are no funds in this bill to do that. So this is a, just an opportunity for you to stand and perhaps speak about an important subject. I understand that. But there are no funds in this bill to accomplish that objective. Not to worry. I'm sure after that disaster, Lauren Boebert will soon be getting a grip on it in public. Worser, Nate Cohn of the New York Times. I fully expect to one day be announcing that the New York Times has merged with the Twitter account New York Times Pitchbot because they are now overlapping at least once a month. Tuesday night, with the first good news for the Democrats, Andy Bashir's re-election in Kentucky, the Pitchbot tweeted at 7.36 p.m., here's why that's bad news for Joe Biden. At 10.33, the pitch bot tweeted, Democrats did well in today's elections, but if the narrative is they did badly, that could be a problem for Biden. At 4.12 a.m., he tweeted, Did Democrats do too well in yesterday's elections? 
At 5.59 a.m., he tweeted, Glenn Youngkin's push to take the Virginia legislature failed in both chambers. So why does it feel like Biden is the one who suffered a humiliating defeat? All pitch-perfect parodies of the Times at its most clueless, both-sidesist tone deafness. And then at 12.30 p.m. yesterday, the tweet came, there's really zero contradiction between the Biden polling and the results last night complete with a link to an actual Times article headlined, Tuesday was great for Democrats, it doesn't change the outlook for 2024. Oh, <laughs> another perfect satirizing of the Times' unyielding snobbery and shallowness, except that was not the Times pitchbot that sent out that tweet, it was the Times itself. It was its chief political analyst, Nate Cohn. As predictable as the sunrise, data guys and or pollsters screw it up like nine times out of ten and inevitably insist, no, no we didn't. Here are more numbers to prove it. See? There's a three and over here's a six. We're right, you're wrong. All we know about the guy behind New York Times Pitchbot is that he identifies as Doug J. Balloon and he once came out of character briefly to reveal he is a college professor somewhere. All we know about the New York Times is that Doug J. Balloon could write at least the headlines to all of the Times' political coverage every day, and he could also write the lead paragraph to all of Maureen Dowd's columns every week. Leading us to the worst, signal polling, and two of its principals, Brent Buchanan and John Rogers. You may recall that in yesterday's edition, I reported on their most recent poll, which presented two striking and sudden positives for Biden, a five-point improvement in his approval-disapproval, his so-called image in the last month, and a six-point drop in voters who think inflation is their key issue in the last two months, nearly 10 points in the last 11 months. I complimented Signal Polling on its record on having posted this stuff, even though it is identified as a center-right publisher, and this is unmistakably good news for Biden. Then I complimented them on Twitter and other social media, and I pointed out those two results while slamming Nate Cohn for, like the CNN idiot David Shalian, treating his own poll like it was the only poll. In short, I introduced Signal and these guys to you as professionals. Silly me. It is amazing to me that after 26 years of covering this crap, that anything could surprise me anymore. But you know what Signal's response was to my spotlighting and complimenting them? The two guys, Rogers and Buchanan, attacked me, defended David Axelrod's panicked analysis of the New York Times poll, and somehow dragged that whiny little transphobe Riley Gaines into this. Honest to effing God, Riley effing Gaines, Jesus suffering F in the middle of the thing about polls and Biden. They also said I didn't know what I was talking about and I was desperate to find something positive about Biden and they mocked the idea that Biden's image had noticeably improved since last month by five points, which turned this whole thing into farce. Because when I wrote and said that, I was quoting their own analysis of and press release for their own poll. Quote, take away three, Joe Biden's image noticeably improved since last month by five points. That's signal polling, 
Remember, they'll deny tomorrow the poll they sold you yesterday and John Rogers and Brent Buchanan of Signal Polling such slaves to their own nitwitted ideology that they have to fight back against compliments. Today's worst persons in the pollsters in disarray world. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic me and things i promised not to tell and i was reminded on saturday of two stories about media blackmail because it was the anniversary of one of those stories the day dave letterman announced he had been blackmailed and they named the guy that they had arrested for doing it and i said oh him of course it's him i've known him for 28 years and then there was the bigger blackmail story and they named the woman who was one of the victims and i said Oh, her. Of course, it's her. I've known her for 20 years. That one first. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon and owner of The Washington Post, was being blackmailed by allies of crazy Trump who expected to get positive coverage for their leader of their cult. What they had on Bezos was he had a girlfriend. They had pictures. It would cost him hundreds of millions of dollars were his wife to find out. He said, that'll happen. In February 2019, Jeff Bezos went public, said his marriage was ending anyway. He was sorry about the pain this caused his wife, but he would now give her all she wanted, and the National Enquirer blackmailers could shove it. Amid everything else, it suggested to me that when you cannot figure out what happened to the people who once seemed to have principles, or at least seemed to have enmity towards crazy Trump, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, others... Remember that the odds were amazingly small that the first time Trump's allies tried to blackmail somebody on his behalf, that they would find in Jeff Bezos the one guy who would say no. On the first try? I don't think so. I have assumed ever since that this process has been utilized for years 
on Trump's behalf in business, inside politics and at its fringes. And that Bezos was not the first victim of this, just the first victim who said, F you, this is why we have F you money. But beneath all that important stuff was yet another occasion where my jaw dropped to the floor and I had to reattach it with Elmer's glue. The woman at the center of the blackmail, the woman for whom Jeff Bezos was going to leave his wife, was named Lauren Sanchez. And like everybody else in this 21st century America, I used to work with her. Lauren was a reporter and sometimes anchor at Fox Sports Net when I got there in 1998, only sometimes. They wrote her a script once that actually read Roger Clemens' ERA is one of the greatest in his era. And she, of course, read Roger Clemens' era is one of the greatest in his ERA. She was much better at interviewing Lakers players after games, particularly Shaquille O'Neal, even though he was more than two feet taller than she was. And she used to insist on interviewing him standing up. These little visits looked so odd on camera that I remember seeing one of her stories being fed in from the L.A. Forum, and I asked the producer, are we actually putting that on the air or just onto the gag reel for Christmas? We did not overlap long there after she gave birth to the child of NFL tight end Tony Gonzalez long after she had ended her relationship with him. Lauren Sanchez was hired to anchor the news on Channel 13, which is a station that was apparently created because somebody would always have to be in last place in the news ratings, and it might as well be them. I was back visiting in L.A. in the spring of 2002 and dived in and out of as many newscasts as I could so I could see what my two ex-employers there and so many of my old colleagues and rivals were doing. That's when I saw it. The worst or perhaps the best commercial for a local television news sweeps series in human history in any language. Sweeps series used to be local TV's bread and butter. During the weeks when the local ratings were tabulated and used to establish who was number one and thus how much everybody's commercials would cost, each station would do a series of special reports within each newscast. They were designed solely to be advertised, to be sponsored, and to be as salacious or silly or unbelievable or titillating or just as memorable as possible. When I was in local news in L.A. in the 80s and 90s, we had a series at Channel 2 with a very good reporter named Dorothy Lucy, and the series was called The Search for Sleaze. The commercials for The Search for Sleaze showed her riding around in a jacuzzi built into the back of a stretch limo with an old guy with a beard and a couple of bikini models in there, too. That had been, to my knowledge, the low point of the Sweeps series. But now... As I watched in my hotel room in Santa Monica in the spring of 2002, this is more or less what I heard the voiceover announcer say. This week, a special report, KCOP 13 News anchor Lauren Sanchez brings you How to Meet a Baller. Ladies, find out where to meet the athlete of your dreams. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Dodgers, Angels, do you want to meet him? Do you want to get to know him do you want to date him how to meet a baller this week on the kcop 13 news at 10 with lauren sanchez how to meet a baller i'm not certain how they restored me to human form from the puddle into which i had dissolved i do remember calling the desk to ask if it was still tuesday it felt like i'd been out cold for several weeks i was appalled 
shocked, chagrined, nauseated, mortified, embarrassed, humiliated, and then I stopped. And as an angelic choir sang in the background, I changed my mind completely. This was not Sweep's series madness. This was not a woman debasing herself by teaching other women how to debase themselves, how to meet ballers. This was, for perhaps the first time in Sweep's series history, perhaps the first time in local television news history, a true expert lending her panoramic, learned, comprehensive knowledge about one subject requiring subtlety, insight, insider information, and the selflessness to share it with mere ordinary women viewers. How do you meet a baller? I would never have known who to ask. I never would have known to whom to send my wife or daughter or friend. Not really. I, I knew there were experts. There were scholars. There were fonts of wisdom. But Lauren Sanchez was the Einstein of meeting ballers. And even in the glimmering light of knowledge that radiated from her that week on Channel 13 Los Angeles two decades ago, even in the blinding aura of her brilliance, could she have known that the ultimate target of the Little Sweep series should have been no mere Tony Gonzalez or do you want to meet him? Do you want to get to know him? Do you want to date him? It should have been, do you want to meet him? Do you want to get to know him? Do you want to date him? How to meet a Bezos. In life, you just don't expect people you worked with for a few weeks, like Lauren Sanchez, to wind up as part of modern American history. It just seems unlikely. Not that they could be involved in a blackmail story like hers, and she was a victim, but that you could have known her. And yet, for me, this was the second time. On October 1st, 2009, and it was the anniversary that reminded me of both of these stories, my friend David Letterman came out onto the stage of the CBS Late Night Show and revealed that he had had a series of consensual relationships with women on his staff. The studio audience laughed, assuming it was the start of some bit in which the guys at the Hello Deli would somehow have a role of some sort. But Dave went on and on and on and finally revealed he had been the victim of an extortion plot and that he and the Manhattan DA's office set up a meeting with the blackmailer who wanted $2 million, with the cover story being that he had written a screenplay about Letterman that would reveal all the relationships, but he would sell the, quote, screenplay, unquote, to Letterman for $2 million. Within hours, Letterman's blackmailer was identified by authorities. I saw the name pop up on my computer terminal at NBC, Robert Joel Joe Halderman. And I looked at it and I said, of course, Joe Halderman. He had been the assignment editor at CNN in New York from the day I broke into television in August 1981 until he left for CBS News a year later. All television assignment editors have to deny reporters camera crews. There are invariably scheduling conflicts, and ultimately there are always two stories to shoot for every one camera crew available. But Halderman used to enjoy denying us reporters crews. He used to like to mock us, to make us grovel. And then when you got to your story with your crew, he would page them and tell them to go cover something else and leave you stranded there. And personally... He had absolutely no redeeming qualities. 
If you could travel back in time to the 22 or 23-year-old me and explain who David Letterman would be and what his fame would be like and how I'd be a guest on his show one night when a presidential candidate canceled at the last minute and how somebody I already knew and had worked with at age 22 or 23 would try to blackmail him over staffers he'd slept with, and could I... I would have interrupted you by that point and said matter-of-factly, Oh, it's Joe Halderman, right? Of course, Halderman, total creep. You say he blackmails this letterbox guy? Frankly, 40-year-old me probably could have figured out the whole Lauren Sanchez thing for some time-traveling quiz master as well. Although I will make no comparison between Joe Halderman and Lauren Sanchez. Lauren was very pleasant. And there is a lesson in that for you. It's not just nostalgia. It's not a brush with greatness, to use a Letterman-esque term. Wherever you are in life or in your career, you may have yet to meet them, or you may have already met them. But this I know to be true. You have your own Lauren Sanchez and your own Joe Halderman already or already in the past. And whatever your first impressions about them were or are or will be, you're damned right they are. And also keep in mind that thought I mentioned that I had about Bezos and the blackmail. Do you really think he could have been the first one they tried to blackmail into supporting Trump and the first one turned them down and went public? I don't think so. done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the headquarters of the Olderman Broadcasting Empire in New York. Joe Halderman. Oh my God. Countdown musical directors, Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handled the orchestration and the keyboards. Mr. Ray was on the guitars, the bass, and the drums. It was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including other Beethoven tunes, arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis. It is called the Olderman theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Kenny Maine. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,038th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 